Greetings and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. So this is Anita Kelly, and my guest today is Jamie Anderson. Hey, Jamie, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. And I just want to say congratulations on your Goldie nomination. Um, and I'm so, so sorry that uh, you didn't actually get the Goldie, but the nomination is an awesome kudos in your hat. Yeah, I'm a finalist. So that's cool. Also, that's very cool. Um, and so that very book is one of the books we want to talk about today. Um, Excellent. So that was An Army of Lovers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, it's nonfiction. It's about women's music of the 70s and 80s. Uh, women's music was a network started and run by women. So that included women performers, women uh, concert producers, media, all sorts of things. And it still exists today, although its heyday was really the 70s and 80s. Wow. So um, that is pretty amazing. And I know that some of the yeah, the musicians that you mentioned in your book are like, that takes me back um, <laughs> to like when I was first, you know, coming out as a baby dyke and learning about the Michigan Women's Music Festival and, and you know, all those gigs. Um, so... Did you did you play with any of those mu musicians that you mentioned in your book, like Maxine Fellman and Alex Dobkin? Yeah, um, I've shared the stage with a few of them, and um, I knew a lot of them and know a lot of them personally because we played at the same venues. Um, my uh, my first album didn't come out to the late '80s, though. So I, you know, even though there's a small section about me in the book, it's really more about all of them. And um, and it was a really it was a great honor to hear and, and to meet these women. They were trailblazers. They were the soundtrack to my coming out as a lesbian and as a feminist. And uh, that was the same for many many other women too. Yeah, it's just incredible. Like I had totally forgotten about Holly Near. Like <laughs> like that I you know and I don't know how I did but you know it's just uh, she was just an integral part of of that music scene. Um and I remember her so clearly. Um did yeah. you Yeah. It's so cool. So so tell us about your your musical career um and and where you are now and and what's happening. Well, uh, women's music really benefited me in many ways, not only helping me to come out, um, but also to support my own musical career. I think without women's music, I probably would have just set my guitar aside and maybe maybe played at campfires or something casual and not really considered it a real job. But um, bolstered by that network, I started performing. I started touring in the late 80s. Uh, after doing local gigs for a few years and um, put out some albums. I've got my 12th album comes out this year. Wow. So, uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I never stopped. I, you know, even though there's a pandemic and most of my gigs have been canceled, all of my gigs have been canceled except the online ones. 
uh, I'm still creating. In fact, being at home has enabled me to have this space and to, to, to create. So I've got this EP coming out. That's all songs that I wrote this year. And five of them were written during the pandemic. Wow. So when is that due out? Uh, that is a very good question. <laughs> Everybody's schedule is kind of, you know, uh, whacked out because of the pandemic. So I'm hoping to put it out in the next couple of months. Okay, great. That's fantastic. It'll called, yeah, it? it'll be called Songs from Home since I was at home when I was writing them. Oh, what a great title. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, so, so you've been writing um, and performing for a long, long time. Um, what made you decide to write um, an army of lovers? Like, how did you get involved in in the um, you know writing scene? Well, um, I'd been a writer for a while. I published my memoir in um, 2014. And um, I've contributed book chapters. I've written a lot of magazine articles and, and blog posts and stuff like that. And I've always enjoyed writing, but it was always a sideline for me. Um, in 2011, Teresa Dell passed away. She was one of our foremothers in women's music, a really wonderful performer, a great songwriter. And uh, hers was the first live women's music concert that I ever attended. It was in the 70s. And uh, she meant so much to me. And when she passed away, I looked around at what was available about women's music. And there's a few things. You know, Bonnie Morris has written a couple of really terrific books. Um, There's a documentary um, called Radical Harmonies, which is very good, but there's not a lot. And I, I kept saying, someone should write a book. You know, Teresa Dell should be in it and all these other fabulous performers and concert producers and everybody else should be in it. Someone should write a book. Someone should write a book. <laughs> and I realized that person was probably me. Awesome. <laughs> and, you know, like um, a few of my creative endeavors that I've started out with, like I did this when I did my first album too. I thought very innocently, well, um, I'm smart. I can figure out how to do this. <laughs> and, you know, I did my research and just sort of jumped right into the deep end. And, um, this book, uh, I thought, well, you know, I know some of these women and I've got some good contacts to, um, get to other women that I need to interview. Um, at least the ones that are still alive. Unfortunately, we've lost a few. And, and uh, I found some more resources about them, you know, some interviews and stuff like that. And I just, I, I just dove right in. I had no idea, none in the beginning that it would take me eight years to write this book. Wow. And um, That's I did a, over 100. What's that? Uh, that is a long time, like to invest in a project, right? Well, and to stick with it, because during that time I had, I put out two albums and I was touring and I'm teaching, and I'm doing a lot of other things. So it's not like I could just set aside everything and, and write. I did have uh, two months where uh, my, my partner works for a humanitarian organization and she was out of the country for an entire year. Wow. So uh, for part of that year, I went and stayed at my mom's and just wrote every day. And so I got a lot of the book done then. I got a lot of it done when I was doing some house sitting in North Carolina for a month here and there. And, you know, so I just, I figured out times when I could, you know, do it. Um, I joke that one of the reasons I stuck with it is because I promised Holly Near I would. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because, 
you know, um, she was one of the first people I interviewed and, um, I have such respect for her. And so it was a fabulous interview. I don't know her very well. So, you know, I found out some things I didn't know before. And, uh, at the very beginning of the interview, she said, um, you know, I've had several people approach me about a book like this. I've given them interviews and then the book never comes out. She said, are you going to stick with this project? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, good. So it's like, you don't promise Holly near something and not follow through. You just don't. Exactly. Right. So that was good incentive to, to get <laughs> yeah. it done, right? <laughs> it was a good incentive. And, and honestly, along the way, I got encouragement from a lot of people. Almost everyone I interviewed said, I'm so glad you're doing this. Thank you. I can't wait to read the book. Um, you know, people have been following along on social media because I would post whenever I got that coveted interview or that great photograph or whatever I was excited about. And they would say, oh, great, you know, a book about women's music. Can't wait to read it. And so um, they really encouraged me to um, what was discouraging was finding a publisher. <laughs> because, really? Yeah. You know, um, Bella Books published my first book, my memoir, which I was very grateful for. Great to work with them. Um, but because they publish fiction mostly, I thought, well, you know, maybe I should explore other kinds of publishers for a book like this. And I know uh, a lot of people go to mainstream publishing, which means you have to get an agent and that's another step. And it's that can take years. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure I want to wait years for this. Mm -hmm. And so I went to publishers that would take a manuscript directly. And that is mostly the smaller independent publishers and academic publishers. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to academic publishers first thinking, well, you know, I'm publishing a history book yeah, and it's about independent music. And a lot of them include that in their curriculum. And so I thought, well, how perfect. So I narrowed it down to uh, academic publishers who specialize in books about music, about LGBTQ history, you know, anything that would be directly associated with this book. And I found a publisher right away. I was very excited about that. Cool. You know, so, awesome. You know, and um, so they agreed to publish it based on two sample chapter, chapters and an outline. And uh, I sent it to them and then a month went by and two months went by and three months went by and it takes a while for them to sort of pass the manuscript around and have a lot of different eyes read it. So I thought, okay, I, I'm being patient out here, but I, I don't know how patient I can be. So I nudged them a little bit and I, I heard back from the acquisition editor, who's the person that I had been dealing with. And she said, well, uh, we like the concept, but we want you to do this and this and this and this and this and this. Well, you know, it's common for an editor to suggest edits. And sometimes it's a lot of edits. And I'm cool with that. I've worked with a lot of editors. I know how that works. They only make the project better. No problem. Mm -hmm. but what they were suggesting was a completely different book. Oh, yeah. Completely different. And I'm like, I'm not a delicate flower. I'll make some changes. But this is kind of ridiculous. I didn't say it exactly that way because yeah. they were my publisher. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I worked out what I thought was a good compromise, and I sent that to them. And they were kind of, well, and so I said, you know what? This is not a publisher who understands the book, who understands my audience. And so I got out of the contract, oh. which is very unusual and heartbreaking. I didn't want to do it. Um, 
So then I went back to my list of academic publishers and one by one they said no. Um, I did have one more academic publisher say maybe and uh, then they decided that, uh, I thought this was funny, I was too close to the project. What? <laughs> what does that mean? I know, you're the writer, <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> if I enjoy music, I shouldn't write a book about Janis Joplin or whatever. I mean, you know, if I, if I knew Janis Joplin, should I not write about her? I mean, that, just an example, of course, I wasn't writing about Janis, but you know, it's like, what? And, you know, I, you That's know, maybe he was, maybe because I included a chap, a, a, a paragraph about myself that he thought, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's really bizarre. I mean, do they not consider biographies or, you know, I mean, autobiographies or anything? Like, I don't I, it's know what weird. they were, yeah. I don't know what they were talking about. And I was uh, talking with a, a friend of mine who's also a writer who's published several books. And she said, well, it's common to go to the publisher who first published with you and I said well that was Bella and I, I liked working with them but you know they don't publish a lot of nonfiction and she said well they do publish some go back to them and I thought oh yeah okay so I went back to them, and um, they were uh, amazing. They're like, yeah, this is a little out of our wheelhouse, but we'll do it. Cool. And it's like, yay. <laughs> so um, I, I learned a lot along the way because, you know, my only other book was a memoir, and that pretty much, you know, came out of my brain and my journals, and I could just write about, you know, what I actually went through. But yeah. writing a book where I had to use uh, – a whole lot of references where I had to document everything, where I had to do all these interviews. Um, it was a whole new ball game. Um, you know, getting permission from all the photographers. Holy cow. I mean, um, the ones I could contact personally um, were pretty good, but it involved a lot of paperwork. I joke that I'm a lawyer now because I wrote all these agreements about <laughs> Uh, about the photographs and, you know, and my publisher helped me out with some, but, you know, they publish fiction. So that wasn't really their wheelhouse either, yeah. you know, and then it came to um, having an, uh, an appendix and uh, actually there's two appendices and then an index. And uh, I thought, well, I did the appendices, um, you know, so I could do I could do an index and I started, I started using the little index program that comes with word, which is what I'd use to, to, to write the, the book. And I, I quickly realized that this was a far bigger job than I ever could do. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. Writing an index is a huge undertaking. Oh my God. And there's a special technique to it and special software. And it's like, I had already spent so many years writing this book I didn't want to even go to the index, but it needed one. You know, if I wanted this book to be used as uh, a reference book um, in academia, in classrooms, or just if somebody wanted to look up their favorite band, you know, they're not going to always be able to slog through the entire book. You know, they want to, you know, go right to the back and look up, you know, uh, BBK Roach or whoever their favorite band was and find them, you know, quickly. Yeah. And so... Um, I went back to my publisher and I said, um, do we have a budget to hire an indexer? And they said, yes, bless their hearts. Cool. And they, um, you know, they let me choose the indexer and I did some research and I found a woman who knew a little bit about women's music and did a really terrific job on the index. So then, you know, that was, that was the whole book. 
Wow. That's awesome. So BBK Roach, is she one of the Roaches? Now, BBK Roach was a band uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area that put out one album for Olivia in the 80s. Ah, okay. They, they did sort of a um, Latin rock jazz fusion. Okay. So are the Roaches mentioned in your book? Do you mention them, like Susie Roach? No, and... I don't. Okay. I don't. Um, I, I have a small section about mainstream artists. Um, because, uh, you know, there, there really is a distinction between mainstream artists and women's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mainstream artists, you know, that could be just women, yeah. you know, any female, you know, that, that could be anyone from, you know, Janis Joplin to Aretha Franklin, but women's music, um, those performers came from a network of women produ- producers and women's events and women's media. It was based in feminism, and it was very often lesbian, not always, but mostly. So that was really different. I do have a section about mainstream artists because they influenced us, certainly, and some of them crossed over, like um, June Millington was a member of the groundbreaking all-women's rock band Fanny. Okay. And that uh, they were popular in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And after she left Fanny, she went to work with Chris Williamson. She produced her own albums and worked in women's music. And so, you know, of course, I cover her. And um, but I also talk about, you know, women performers who are not women's music, but pretty righteous. You know, like um, uh, I talk about Loretta Lynn because she had songs like The Pill where she uh, talks about uh, women should have access to the pill because that was very controversial uh, back in the 60s or maybe it was the 70s when that song came out. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, but, I think it um, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Women like Aretha Franklin and Mavis Staples, you know, like singing about having respect, you know, they certainly had an impact on us too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember uh, my first introduction to a lot of uh, feminist music uh when i went to i think it was called the um women's music festival and it was outside of dc um in a little town called marlboro and uh, i remember we like camped out it was total camping it was women only and it was all these great musicians and and other types of artists um i actually that's where i met alice walker actually um yeah it was like you don't see things like that anymore today definitely not right yeah they just don't exist there are some women's music festivals that still exist actually um not a lot of them yeah um like I said, the heyday was really the 70s and 80s. The National Women's Music Festival still goes on. It's held in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Sister Space, uh, which may be the festival that you went to, has been going on this long, and it still exists. It's a, a, a weekend festival near Baltimore. Yeah. I think it's the big city. Yeah. I think that was uh, it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's still it's still happening. Does so, it really? Yeah, That's yeah, so yeah cool. check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's a women's only festival. Um, there was also another festival in that area called Camp Fest, um, that was in Southern Pennsylvania and it's, uh, most of its, uh, years and, uh, same thing. It was all, all women camping, you know, yeah, big, yeah. big, big fun. Um, yeah, yeah the Ohio, the Ohio lesbian festival is still happening. There's a, a couple of small festivals, uh, in California. Wow. That's really great to know. I, I had no idea. Um, Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my body will not let me camp on the ground anymore, but you know, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, I am not a camping fan myself. The National Women's Music Festival is held indoors and you get to stay at a hotel if uh, that makes you feel any better. I love so, it. Yeah. So for us older farts and for people who uh, can't sleep on the ground, uh, that's a really great festival. That is. That's great. And where is that held? It's in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay, in Madison. Yeah, and if people just do a search on National Women's Music Festival, they'll find it. Okay, awesome. So um, when you did the research for this book, was it hard to track down all these performers, all these artists? Uh, some of them know, uh, because they have very public personas and they're still performing. Holly Near was very easy to find. Uh, she's got an active website and she still performs. Um, there were a, a few women who were friends of mine, so I knew how to contact them. There were times when I just posted to social media, Hey, does anybody know? <laughs> that <laughs> works. Know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, sometimes I would interview somebody and they would say, you you really should talk to, you know, so and so. And here's how you reach her. It's like, awesome. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So um, and, and of course, there are women who are no longer with us that um, I couldn't contact. I mean, you know, Maxine Feldman is gone. Kay Gardner, um, some of the supporting people like Chris Koth, who was a uh, sound engineer, is gone. Um but I knew that the advantage is that I, I, I knew Chris because Chris was the sound engineer at the Virginia Women's Music Festival, another festival that still happens. It's, um, it's near Richmond. It happens uh, Memorial Day weekend. Oh, but cool. anyway, she was the uh, sound technician at that festival, and I interviewed her. And then a couple years after that, she passed away. So I'm really glad that I was um, able to talk with her. Yeah, 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 really. That was fortunate. And there were some women I wasn't able to reach, uh, which is really sad. I would have loved to have talked with Meg Christian, who was uh, so important in the early days. She um, put out albums on Olivia and performed at the festivals, did the whole thing. But she left women's music in the mid-'80s, and so she didn't have an active website, no active uh, you know, email address that I could find. I asked everybody I knew. Um, I contacted Olivia Records, which actually is Olivia Travel now, and they couldn't connect me either. So it was kind of frustrating um, because I really wanted to talk with women personally as much as I could. Um, I'm not opposed to using other resources, and I had some very reliable resources I could use. But um, talking directly with the woman was... Uh, the most important way, I thought. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a name, like, I totally forgot about her. That's yeah, yeah, she was one of my favorites. And honestly, if I'd been able to track her down, I don't know if I would have been able to speak. <laughs> I would have, <laughs> would have gone something like, eh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, she You're was like, so good. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how, um, my wife and I were when we met Janice Ian. We like were like yeah. just awestruck and you know sounded like babbling idiots. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Janice Ian is in my book. I'm, I've long been a fan of hers, and uh, even though she wasn't a part of women's music, she did perform at the National Women's Music Festival one year. And I have a couple of really good quotes from her about women performers that I was able to use. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's really active in social media. Um, yeah, which is nice. It's nice to hear from her. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So um, how, how did it feel, right? You had your first book, 
uh, Drive All Night, um, and now your second book, An Army of Lovers, were both finalists um, in the Golden Crown Literary Society. Like uh, I'm, I'm assuming different categories, but right out of the starting gate, you had big hits. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, actually, they're not two different categories. They're both nonfiction. So oh, I was okay. nominated in, in two categories. So it's really an honor to be a finalist. I really, um, really thought that was cool. Nice. Nice. And, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, awards are great. But, you know, the comments that I'm hearing from readers and from the people included in the book, that's uh, that's priceless. You know, I, I, some of the women who I interviewed just went on and on about how accurate it was and how entertaining it was. And, um, that, that means a whole lot to me. I've had people write to me and say that they, they cried reading certain parts of it, that it really touched them. They'd forgotten about some of the festivals that meant so much to them. And, um, that, that's really important to me because one of the reasons I wrote the book was not just because I wanted to honor Teresa Dell and all those performers and all those concert producers and stuff. Um, it's because I wanted to document this very important network. I didn't want anyone to forget who we were and who we are. Um, I also wanted to correct a few misconceptions. There's a few <laughs> things that, you know, like one of them that kind of made me angry was um, there's a rumor out there that Maxine Feldman had transitioned before she passed away. And um, I don't have any uh, um, opinion about people who want to transition. That's a very personal uh, choice. And uh, I get that. But she did not transition. Maxine was a friend of mine. And um, in her later years, she did say she didn't care what pronoun you used for her. And I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. But she never transitioned. And so I wanted to say that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. You want to speak the truth and let everyone know, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, you know, um, this is like really I, I look at, at your work as like a really important uh, piece of our history. Um, and, Thank you. and I'm so glad that you wrote this and, and put this together and spent the time and effort and, and that it's such a great, uh, piece of, of work too. It's a, it's a good read, you know, um, that's Thank important you. as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those books that just takes you back and, and, uh, for me, it, it, you know, makes me remember, um, where I came from and what it was all about. Um, good. Cause it's yeah. so different now, you know, like I think someone, it, it you is. know, and someone just coming out in today's world has really just no clue what, what the world was like back then. Uh, you know, and I'm speaking about the 80s. Some of them so, don't. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, yeah, and and that's another reason I wrote this book. I, I wrote it for the women who were there and some men um, to reminisce and to remember about the strength of our network and how beneficial it was to all of us. But I also wrote it for people who didn't know about women's music. I've said women's music to a lot of people when describing this book, and they're like, oh, you mean Carol King? <laughs> <laughs> well... No. <laughs> well, that's and, um, and I have heard from a, a few young women who are like, this is cool. I had no idea. I mean, I thought that, you know, women only kinds of things started with Riot Girls and Lilith Fair. And 
It absolutely did not. It started in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's it's amazing um, just the evolution uh, that we've seen. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for doing this. I yeah. really appreciate it. Oh, you're it. welcome. Yeah, yeah. and I also want to mention, too, that um, this isn't just a laundry list of what happened when. Um, it's a collection of great stories. You know, I... Yeah. I wanted to be, I'm an entertainer, you know, I'm also a musician and I, I, I wanted, wanted to keep people's interest and, you know, a bunch of dry facts is not going to keep anyone's interest, even if you were there at that concert or heard that performer or whatever. And, mm -hmm. um, so I got some really great stories that I put in there, you know, like, uh, one of my favorites was from, um, uh, Kristen, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name, Kristen Aspen, who was uh, a member of the Dyke Tones, which was an early all-women's rock band. She was also a member of Izquierda, which was a uh, four-piece uh, folk, Latin, rock, jazz band. I don't know how to categorize them. <laughs> and then she also went on to be a part of a duo called Musica Femina that did classical music because women's music was really all genres. But when she was playing with Izquierda, they were on tour and um, they broke down in a small town in Idaho. And um, Kristen is also a mechanic. And um, she also kind of breaks all the stereotypes because she looks pretty femme and you're thinking, oh, she's a mechanic, really? Handy. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so she, you know, she figured out that what happened with their car is that it broke an axle. Ooh. Just, yeah, this is big, right? This isn't just like, hey, you need to do a spark plug. This is a broken axle. And so she tracked one down and changed out the axle in the pouring rain at what? the side of a highway. What? <laughs> yeah. And it was such an unusual thing that all the townspeople gathered around. And there was even a reporter from the newspaper <laughs> who wrote about it and put it in the paper. So, you know, I've got stories like that that I think are just hysterical or, um, there's one that uh, Lisa Vogel told me. Lisa uh, was the producer uh, of the uh, Michigan Women's Music Festival. Um, she co-produced it with others early on, but later on she was the only producer. But she told me a, a story about the early days, and it involves BBK Roach, the uh, band that I mentioned earlier. And BBK Roach had played earlier in the evening, and um, they'd had some trouble with men sneaking onto the land. And um, the festival had their own security crew, so they were watching out. But, you know, still they needed to, you know, really be careful about that. And um, so they they partied at a campsite that was near the, um, the border, near the fence of the festival, where some men had been breaking in. And so they're hanging out, you know, doing their partying thing, and they hear a rustle in the bushes. And uh, come to find out, they're, oh, oh, no, I know what happened. The, the bass player for the band uh, said, I'll go see who that is. I'll go see what's going on. Maybe it's just a deer or something, right? And she goes into the brush, and it's this very drunk man who's like, where are the girls? Oh, boy. <laughs> and so she comes back into the campsite, dragging him by his T-shirt, <laughs> And he is scared out of his freaking mind. <laughs> so they escort him to the road and say, run. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's so a good story. Hopefully he told his friends. That they, yeah. And hopefully he told his friends. They quit trying to break onto the land and bugging women. I mean, <laughs> crazy. So, so, so I include stories like that. And, and, and I also include, you know, important things, not just things that were funny. You know, like um, I have a whole section of the book called um, 
something well, sure I can't even remember I have to look at the book travel in paradise that's what it's called and uh, in that section I talk a lot about uh, racism homophobia ageism you know all of the issues that we were dealing with at our events and with our performers and some of the ways that we worked it out and in some of the ways we did not work it out mm. um, that that's another thing that separated women's music from mainstream music is that we were very aware of all these issues and how we could uh, change and how we could empower women to make these events uh, more inclusive and to make uh, and have the performers sing to a wider variety of, of women. It wasn't just, you know, uh, entitled white women here. This was this was for all women for. Um, and again, it was mostly lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I remember. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I recall that that uh, there was an issue with um, campers who brought male children, um, into the, you know, the festival, um, they were having some, some women were having issue with that. And so they had to sit down and have a big powwow about it. Um, and, and kind of ease, uh, the mind of, of the people who really had, had issue with that, um, and talk to them about being inclusive, um, Yeah, you know, um, every women's music event had their own set of guidelines. And for some, it was women only, and that meant female only. Yeah. And, you know, those guidelines weren't always well understood. And women who were mothers of sons were upset. And you're right, you know, they they figured out a way to make it happen. there are some festivals that limited the age of boy children, like Michigan accepted boy children up until a certain age. I'm not sure what that was, um, age nine or 10 maybe. And they had a separate camp for them and they had like activities, which was, you know, some of the boys were like, that was summer camp for them. You know, they had a great time and, um, the moms could camp nearby and it was, you know, all well, some festivals don't care about, it being female only and um, they wanted to empower boys and they wanted to support men who supported women's music. And so uh, the national women's music festival has always been open to everyone. Uh, the same for um, sister fire, which was a festival that happened in the urban area of DC um, or in a suburb of DC, depending on the year. Um, and they again, accepted everyone. In fact, some of their volunteers were men, okay. so, you know, the, yeah. It, it sort of went across the board. And, you know, almost every festival, there was some big issue that they had to sit down and talk about. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And, and you know, back then, um, I think people were more willing to sit down and talk than they are today. Today, it's just like, uh, I, I don't know, I think social, social media lends to people just getting into each other's faces and, and really not hearing yeah. the other side. Um, and social media has really changed the whole conversation around intense topics like racism, for sure. Um, but it was different in the seventies and eighties, you know, most of it was face to face. It's like, you know, how can you be racist? I'm sitting right here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You couldn't hide behind, you know, a platform. Um, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. there were still the rumors and stuff that went around, you know, there was still misinformation, it just was transmitted in a different way. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So, so Jamie, what's next for Jamie, the writer? <laughs> <laughs> uh Oh, you're laughing. Well, 
I have a million and one ideas, let me tell you. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I have I have thought about writing another memoir because it was so much fun to write my first one. But, you know, uh, let's face it, I'm not Holly Near. I'm not famous. And Well, my mother thinks I'm famous. I don't know if that counts. But oh, Moms um, are awesome. So, so I don't know if that's going to come to pass. I've thought of other topics that I would really love to write about, but they all involve a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, do I want to go down that road again? Um, part of me also thinks, gosh, it'd be fun to write fiction. I've never written fiction before. And then I think, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so. with all of your experience uh, within this music world, you could probably write a great piece of fiction, like a great like romance or something. Uh Thank you. I am not the person to write romance, frankly. I mean, that's my joke about publishing with Bella. Bella has so many great romances, and there's no romance in either of my books. <laughs> but um, but uh, I, I have thought about writing some fiction where um, musicians are central characters. I mean, that's certainly something I know a lot about. Yeah. And um, in addition to indie music, I know a lot about mainstream music. I haven't been in that world myself, but I, I know lots of people who have, and I can certainly do the research around that. And so um, that does interest me. And I read like a mad person. I mean, I read several books a week. So it's like, I, I've got lots of ideas. I just... I don't know. And um, right now I've got a very busy teaching practice. So um, I'm grateful to have the work during this pandemic. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't leave me with a lot of energy to do creative pursuits like write. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. That would be difficult to navigate, I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Finding that time. Maybe when I retire. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, so, so Jamie, do you do you like to hear from your readers um, and and your listeners? Um, Absolutely, yeah. They can they can contact me at uh, Jamie at JamieAnderson dot com. My first name is spelled J A M I E, and that's Anderson with an O N. I'm also really easy to find online if you just search Jamie Anderson. Uh, if you write rude stuff, I don't respond. Um, but if it's a genuine fan letter or if you have a question about something I've written in a book, I'm always happy to answer that. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, Jamie, thank you so much, uh, for being with us today. Um, my pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, for those folks who want to check out your book An army of lovers, where could they find that? Uh, they can buy it from my publisher, Bella Books, B-E-L-L-A books.com. Um, it's also found at indie bookstores and some libraries carry it. Oh, awesome. I also, yeah, I also sell it at my concerts, but, you know, I'm not doing any concerts right now <laughs> in person, so that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, hopefully uh, soon, but who knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have an online book event planned with Women on a Roll in Los Angeles, and that'll be in August. I don't have a date yet. So um, I might do other online book events. They're always fun. Okay, cool. And uh, we look forward to Songs from Home coming out sometime this year. Later yeah. This year. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, I'm Anita Kelly, and that is all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining Liz Talk About Books. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted and peace be plenty.